Hello and welcome to the final episode of our live tour season. The other four episodes were all a little bit different than this one. They were recordings from our live events in Boston, New York City, Seattle, and Los Angeles. In this one, we're going to recap, not live from the events themselves, our amazing trip to the United Kingdom, and focus in on some of the questions that we were asked there by the applicants, which are a little bit different than the questions we typically get here at home in the United States. All right, Christy, how did this wonderful, fabulous, super fun trip come to be? We were discussing the different places we might go on this live podcast tour. We started to talk about all of the great students we have who have either studied or worked in the United Kingdom. And so some of those folks are international students from the UK or otherwise. Some of them are you know, Americans who are on a study abroad semester or completing a graduate degree. And actually more and more students from the US are heading to the United Kingdom for undergrad. So as we were having that conversation, we thought maybe we'll just go to the, the United Kingdom ourselves. Yes, we sure did. And we took our show on the road and we specifically went to UCL, University College London, Oxford, Cambridge, and LSE, the London School of Economics. We were incredibly lucky that the weather cooperated. I think we had almost no rain the whole time we were there, which from what we can tell is a pretty unusual thing in the United Kingdom. So our first stop was University College London, which was thankfully right around the corner from our hotel because I think both of us Chris, took an we, overnight we could not. Yeah, we could not have done that if it wasn't close. I think we were both <laughs> barely alive at that moment in time and heavily caffeinated. <laughs> we both landed at about, you know, 10 o'clock or so UK time and we were speaking with makeup on in a nice dress by like 1.30 p.m. at UCL. Yes, um, that's that's exactly right. And I will say you did insist, and I agree, that we should take public transport from the airport to our hotel, which was a train and three tube rides. So we had definitely earned, <laughs> earned our dinner that night after that event. And the next day, we took the train up to Oxford um, to a really lovely event organized by the Oxford Law Society and the, the fabulous students. Um, before the event, we got a chance to uh, get get to see some of the, the campus, including a walk around the grounds of Modellin College. Not, I learned, pronounced Magdalene, as I'd always said it in my head, but <laughs> Modellin College. And then we had lunch at the Turf Tavern, dating back to 1381, and is famously the spot where Bill Clinton did not inhale. So that was, and delicious. I had fish and chips, which was amazing. What did you have? You had something, oh, you had that fried cheese thing. Oh, the halloumi? It was delicious. Halloumi. It was delicious. And then delicious. I think I had fried halloumi like on the train ride home from Oxford from Pret. That was my dinner. Yes, that you night. did. Yes, yes, I do love a Pret. <laughs> Somehow it's better in the UK where it started. All right. On, where's on our day next stop? three, we headed to Cambridge, Cambridge, United Kingdom, and got an incredible tour from a current HLS student who's completing her joint JD LLM degree. So shout out to Blythe for taking us around. The Cambridge Law yes, Society. Thank you, Blythe. Yes. The Cambridge Law Society hosted us on the Cambridge event, and we were walked back to the train station by two really lovely students. Our highlight of that day, personally, was dinner. We waited in line for about an hour. I learned that Miriam sees a line for food and cannot resist. So she's like, I must resist. I did let food. you go get a drink while I stood in line. Yes. Only one human <laughs> in the party to. had to actually physically stand in line. Um but we made it to a very super fun Indian restaurant and just like fully stuffed ourselves. And it was delicious. Yes, it was so delicious. Ending with that yummy bread, 
uh, rice pudding, which is one of my very favorite foods. Okay, last but certainly not least is uh, LSE, uh, where the Law Society hosted us for our final event. And we also had the chance to see some sites, um, including the Divas exhibit at the Victoria and Albert Museum. I cannot recommend that enough. It far exceeded expectations. And then we made a very quick trip to the British British Museum on our way to the airport, where Christy saw my love for all all Roman statuary, which I, it was sort of like a line for food. I keep being drawn to them. Were you a classics major or minor? Were you a double I was major? A mi- I was a minor. Classics uh, minor. Yeah, the classics and, minor came out, folks. Yes, full full force. Full force. And it's like, oh my gosh, with that hairdo, he must be a Trajanic emperor. And Christy's like, okay, Miriam, that's cute. <laughs> it was cute. I was really impressed. <laughs> and Probably one of the highlights of our trip is we got to go to theater in the West End. We got to see Cabaret, which was really impactful. Yes. And I've never seen it before. And at the intermission, I said, Christy, this doesn't end well, does it? And you were like, no, it's Weimar, Germany. We all know this doesn't end well. <laughs> but I thought it was it was beautiful. Um, one of my colleagues had said it was an amazing uh, showing of it. And it really was. Really, really well done. OK, we thought it might be helpful um, to go through a few of the less typical questions we were asked at these events, many of which pertain to issues specific to international applicants, those who go to school abroad and studying abroad. Um, So maybe I'll start with the first one for you, Miriam. Um, What, if anything, should an applicant who is not a U.S. citizen do differently as part of their application? Yeah, so we got that question, I think, pretty routinely um, while we were abroad. And of course, it's one we hear um, when we're in the U.S. as well. I don't think that the standards or the way that we're reviewing applications changes very much um, based on someone's citizenship status. I think both both of our schools really uh, like to have folks from uh, with different citizenship statuses, international students at our schools. I think the one thing is to be, or maybe two things, to be aware of the restrictions, if any, um, that your citizenship status may have on your job um, prospects. So, for example, you know, most non-citizens um, can't clerk for federal courts. And so you definitely don't want to emphasize your desire to get, you know, a fancy clerkship in your application because it just shows you don't actually know how it works and it, it's just not the best. Um, and then the and, and that's true, too, of, you know, federal government jobs, you know, some public service jobs more so than others. So just make sure that your citizenship status aligns with your stated um, interest. And then I think the other question that should be answered if you can throughout the application is why studying in the U.S. makes sense for you. Sometimes it's really obvious from the type of law you want to practice, you know, transnational, um, you know, uh, corporate transactions or international human rights or things like that. But sometimes it's a little bit less obvious. And if it's in one of those less obvious areas, I would just make sure you sort of explain sometimes explicitly, sometimes not um, why this is the right choice for you. I think that's great advice. And it touches on that second really common question we got in the United Kingdom, which is, what should international students consider when deciding whether to apply to U.S. law schools? So maybe I'll um, I'll add a couple it's, more thoughts. Sure. As Miriam previewed, I, I think as you're considering whether a U.S. law school is right for you as a non-U.S. citizen, to me, a lot of it really comes down to career outcomes. I think you can trust that doing three years of a JD program in the U.S. will be interesting and intellectually engaging and you'll get a great education, but it is a professional degree. And so you really want to think about how this particular degree from schools in this particular country will help inform your future. And that does require a lot of, you know, some foresight and certainly a lot of reflection on your part as an applicant. I would say that um, some things to consider in terms of particular schools. One, 
are there a fair amount of international students, so non-U.S. citizens, in the student body for that school? So you can look at ABA 509 reports. They won't provide the exact breakdown of where people are from, but they will give you the raw numbers of students in each of the three classes for a JD program that are not U.S. citizens. Uh, that can give you some insight into kind of what the student body will be like at the school. I would also try to check out whether the individual schools you're considering have an affinity group or similar organizations for international students to meet one another, because that can be just really nice to have, especially as you're thinking about different career outcomes. Having a cohort of people who are in the same boat as you can really be nice. Third, you might want to take a look at the different career services offices that are offered. And when you're admitted to different schools, really ask folks at you know, webinars or admitted student visit days that the school offers. What is it like to go to this school as an international student? Um, what types of career services and resources are offered to international students to help them figure out what prospects are out there um, and, and how to navigate the job search? Anything you'd add, Miriam? Oh, I, I think that's all exactly right. Unfortunately, and I say this as someone who was an international student, uh, when I applied to law school, it does require, as Christy said at the very beginning, a little bit more research, a little bit more self-reflection. Uh, but I think if you decide at the end of that that going to school in the U.S. makes sense for you, I think you should absolutely do it. I did it myself and um, and haven't looked back. So I will take the next question that we got pretty frequently, was, which is how we evaluate international transcripts. Um, and when I say international, I mean, as I said every time, not Canada here is, is evaluated the same way by LSAC as the United States. So this is non-Canadian, non-U.S. transcripts. So these, first of all, take more time to be processed. So you should give yourself a lot of um, lead time to get them into LSAC. And what LSAC does is they evaluate them on a scale that's superior, above average, average, and so on. And any grades that you got at this international institution will not be added into your cumulative uh, GPA. So if you also have credits from a school in the United States or Canada, a cumulative GPA is calculated for those, but not for the uh, the non-US, non-Canadian schools. So of, of course, we look at the, the LSAC evaluation. It can be helpful, especially for countries that uh, we get transcripts from less frequently. Uh, but we also look, as we always do, very carefully at the transcript themselves. Oh, we know many of the quirks uh, that it, from countries that are more common, sort of the, the German system where lower scores are better. The fact that in the UK and, and some other countries, the, the, the grades in the earlier years are heavily discounted, so people are less grade focused in those years. And as always, we try to put that context um, into play as we're evaluating the transcript. And this may be another moment to plug what we always say, which is that uh, recommenders can be a really good source of contextual information about your academic program. So if there's things that are particularly unusual in your program, or at least unusual compared to a typical U.S. program, it's a great to ask your recommender to include that information. Anything else, Christy? Or you, you want to skip ahead to study abroad? One very particular transcript question we got a lot yeah. from folks who are in one-year programs in the UK. So they're in kind of a one-year graduate school program was, I don't have any grades yet. What should I do about submitting my transcript? And I think the advice we gave a couple different times was just go ahead and upload it. We will understand that you're early on in um, that program. We're not going to expect to see grades, but then you kind of have it on file as a placeholder. And it will mean that there's not any delays in processing. And then just update it as soon as, as any grades come in. Okay, next question. How do we consider study abroad programs? 
This is such a big question because not all study abroad programs are created equal. So there's study abroad programs that are essentially hosted by your same home institution where you might even be taught by professors who are part of that institution and your grades show up on the transcript. And in that sense, it doesn't feel very different from our perspective than being somewhere else. Um, And then there's people who do study abroad programs that are in a completely different type of teaching style and learning style, grading system. And I think the shortest way to describe it is we consider your study abroad program in context. It helps us better understand you as a student, um, and it gives us some hints about what you're interested in as a student. But we kind of look at it as to the like particular program you were in and the particular type of place you studied. I would say if you have any inkling that you may want to work internationally in the future, I think going on a study abroad is a really positive thing to do, particularly if you're getting the opportunity to really hone language skills in a language other than English. Um, I never got a chance to study abroad, and I kind of wish I had. Ugh. Did you study abroad? Oh, Christy, yes, that I minored in classics in of course, so part because I got to study abroad in Italy. As I was in, I, we were all over Italy, actually, but that's where I developed my keen eye for various Roman statue hairstyles was through that study abroad program. So I, I had an amazing, it's also, it's great professionally, but it also just like personally is really amazing to have the opportunity to immerse yourself in another, in another place for some period of time. Okay, so we got a lot of questions about graduate degrees because many of the people we were speaking to were in graduate programs uh, at the time. And so one question they would ask is how we evaluate these graduate transcripts. And I, I think it's a it's a fallacy to think that because the GPA from graduate records are not reported to the ABA, we don't care about them. We care just as much about the graduate transcripts as we do about the undergraduate transcripts. In some ways, for some people, they can actually be um, more meaningful because they're more recent. Um, they're a graduate level program, as are our programs, uh, and they can they can be re- a really important way for us to evaluate your academic ability. Um, so, you know, we definitely need to see them. And uh, in some cases, a strong graduate uh, record can help overcome a weaker undergraduate record. And uh, of course, the converse is true. If you, you know, nailed it in undergrad and then it went, you know, not nearly as well in the graduate program that can sometimes raise up a yellow flag, but it is something that we look at uh, very, very carefully. And then just as one side point for this, we got asked a fair amount about how to think about recommenders if you have both graduate um, program and undergraduate program. And I think both Christy and I feel pretty strongly that you should always look for recommenders who can speak um, in, in the most robust, positive way about you, who've known you in a couple of different contexts. It is a little odd if you're deep into a PhD program, I will say, to have no one from the PhD program. That's like the one exception where I would say, ooh, you probably should include someone from your PhD program if you're you know, in your second or third or fourth year of it. With a one or a two year master's, I think it's really up to you to decide on the right mix of recommenders. Uh, and they may be lean more heavily towards undergraduate or more heavily towards graduate school, depending on how well you know people, the timing and all of those things. Anything oh, else absolutely. on the recommender? Yeah, you agree. Yeah. I No, I really agree. And I think that you know, let the relationship and the substance and depth of the work that you did with the person really govern. So, for example, if you um, are you're out of your master's program, you did some sort of culminating project like a thesis or dissertation, the person who worked with you very closely on that is is often I've seen kind of like a classic choice (laughs) for a recommendation because they've really gotten to work with you very closely. Um, But let, let the relationship govern. So, okay, agreed. And a personal, 
favorite question we got. And a person, yes, personal Very favorite. Very specific to it, we, the UK. I think it got asked everywhere. Yes. Yes, it got asked All everywhere. All four we Yes, it did. What yes. should applicants do when their grades are delayed due to the marking strike? So Miriam, can you provide some context on this? Like, what is the marking strike for our listeners who yeah. haven't heard of this? So, and I think that this has happened in a few instances in the U.S. as well, where um, the graduate students are striking uh, and they're the ones who do the vast majority of the grading. And, you know, as part of their strike, they are refusing to turn in grades or delaying turning in grades. And so there are people who are still waiting from gra- for, for grades from last spring, for example. And we obviously understand how this would create a lot of anxiety when you're required to provide these up-to-date transcripts, yet you're missing, you know, chunks of of pretty recent and important grades. Was that so good enough ad- context? Yes. So okay. the advice we gave, and I think for those who have not studied in the UK for some context, ost- often on a UK transcript, there's really only a couple of classes over the course yeah. of the entire year. Um, so not ha- if you, it's a little bit different than somebody who is in, uh, you know, an American university where maybe they took five or six classes every semester. So one or two grades not being on there is, eh, you know, maybe not the end of the world. Yeah. Um, I think. As you said, I think it can be very stressful if you have literally only three courses yes. from that whole year and two of them don't have grades yet. And that's especially the case, which I mentioned this earlier, where in the UK, when they calculate your final degree classification, is it a first, is it an upper second? They base it generally on the more recent years and they really heavily discount or don't include at all your first year. And so especially if your grades in your first year as a result were lower because you knew they weren't going to be included for your degree classification and then you're missing a chunk of your upper upper level grades, it, that just doubles down on the stress that people feel. And consequently, we got a lot of questions about this. A lot. So. <laughs> What we flagged is that for our two teams, we're pretty familiar with the marking strike. We have read a number of addenda from individuals at a lot of different organizations. Probably some important context is this was across a lot of different um, institutions in the UK. Um, So we're pretty familiar with it. We're not going to be surprised that those grades are not there yet. And if you really wanted to kind of make sure you're dotting your I's and crossing your T's, submitting a really short, concise addendum will probably do the trick. It would be something like, you may notice that I'm missing two of my grades from spring 2023. Um, Those grades are not yet in due to the marking strike in the United Kingdom or insert institution here. And then something like, I plan to submit an updated transcript as soon as those grades become available. And that would about cover it. That about covers it. Yes, this this may be even the addendum minimalist thinks this might be an okay spot for an addendum. So feel free to include such a brief uh, addendum if you need to. All right, Christy, would we do this again? The big question. absolutely, and not just because it was so wonderful to hang out together in London um, and leave really, our really five would. children with our husbands for the week. <laughs> um, but we met, we just met so many incredible applicants, um, and I was in pressed at the variety of applicants we met. As we kind of said earlier, there were everyone from college juniors who are American citizens studying at American universities who were studying abroad to people who are like deep into DPhil programs and truly folks from all over the world. So it was a it was not only enjoyable for the two of us for that week, but also I think a really wonderful way to reach some applicants we might not have otherwise. I co-sign as almost always is the case. And I just want to end by saying a huge thank, uh, shout out to my colleague, John, who put this together. <laughs> it was not the easiest thing in the world to do. So I, I couldn't 
uh, end this without saying thank you to John and to everyone who helped get this set up, including these amazing student organizations at some of these schools who were uh, absolutely fabulous and in, in helping the visits go forward. So we hope you enjoy this little live tour season and best of luck to everyone. Thanks, everybody. This podcast is produced by Ryan McAvoy from the Yale Broadcast Studio.